168th session of the literature. As I'm sure you can guess by now, I'm not there. Um, it's quite, quite a distinct difference from the other. Uh, no, unfortunately, our esteemed president is what? It's not that different. What? I'm not sure who you're insulting there, either me or Ben. But, um, anyway, so. Yeah, uh, I'm glad to have you all here. Um, as a, our esteemed president is away at the dentist, um, so I couldn't be here tonight. So, um, uh, and our secretary is away in France. Uh, for any Hamilton fans out there, at least you can say he knows where France is. Anyway, so on with tonight. Um, so, has anyone got any announcements to start off with? Then we'll move on to private members' business. Has anyone got anything they'd like to bring up? Mr. Hugo? Um, yeah. Well, so I'd like to say that uh, next Monday, Ms. Campbell and I are going to be travelling to Cork. They are having a debate on if the students' unions in Ireland should have an official position on the border. So, since we're only first years, we don't have that much inside knowledge of like, how students' unions work, what they say. So, I'd like to know if anyone. If anyone here has any thoughts on any points that we should raise when we're there, I would like to hear those because I don't have much to say. I'm sure we can put you in touch with the people who did it at the last debate, don't worry. Um, <laughs> Chris? So yeah, I, I actually do have a question. Are you going down as a team or are you going down representing each side? I have asked them in an email this morning and they have not got back to me on the actual way to oh. No, they, they actually did say they're looking for speakers for the S. You should be Okay, let's move on. 
One last right about this business. John? Um, so the rise of the right in Europe, Le Pen might be going to jail for a couple of years. She might be going to jail, she was brought into court a few days ago, so what's the thoughts what's on that? Will it just help their campaign? Or? It just shows how disgusting the EU is. Like, <laughs> like literally, why can't she tweet about how disgusting ISIS are, right, and then not get immunity from it, from that stupid organisation, the EU? The problem... <laughs> <laughs> I think it is a tremendous amount of opportunity to backfire. I don't think it was necessarily the EU which was suing her. It was the human law of France, but the EU then offered to rescind the parliamentaries, which is over there, it's a, right, it's a privilege, not a right, unlike here. But I think the most likely situation of this will turn into this Joan of Arc character because she'll be seen as like sacrificing herself to tell everyone the truth. So either it goes and blows over and maybe has some effect on our numbers, or we'll just enable something even bigger further down the line. So who, who can tell at this point? Really? Okay, uh, maybe the President's <laughs> questions. Ms. Care Campbell. Um, can I ask why you aren't wearing like, the presidential room? Because it's in time to defend, so this was the best I could do. <laughs> um, um, I would like to know how to vote for yourself, um, Rachel. What dates to vote on, what times? I will remain neutral on this, but I'm sure Rachel will enlighten you on the voting procedures. I have to remain neutral. No, 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 no. I have to. <laughs> so voting takes place on the on please online on the Tell them what you're running for. Oh I'm running for education. Um, What's Lily voting for? <laughs> <laughs> I'm running for education and I think Brainstorm doors to discuss seizing the means of education. 
The week's private members business eschewed the stereotype of debaters being sport averse nerds as both items were about professional sport. Our secretary, Mr. Whitehurst, kicked off proceedings. Kicked off? Nope, okay. <laughs> asking for our thoughts on Piegate, where Sutton United's reserve goalkeeper ate a pie on screen during a football match. Dr. Craig Miller confessed to being a pie fan and extolled her virtues. Tech officer Chris Spratt spoke against the exploitation of the working class by gambling companies. And Mr. Whitehurst, Mr. Whitehurst spoke passionately about events such as this, making a mockery of the joys of football. More, businesses, more business was raised by Mr. Connor Ardell about the bias against Ulster players in selection for the Iron Rugby team, in particular Paddy Jackson over Johnny Sexton. Mr. Spratt praised the longevity of Sexton on the pitch, but conceded that Paddy Jackson is indeed a great young lad. President Murphy confessed to having no idea what anyone was on about. <laughs> President's questions saw the society continue to descend into unbridled anarchy as Mr. John McLean asked what the tech officer had for lunch. The reply was Indigo French toast with bacon along with a round of coffee, confirming that Mr. Spratt is indeed a member of the Liberal elite. <laughs> Ms. Pierre Campbell asked what the appropriate time for breakfast was, however, the answer varied depending on whether this was your first, second, or third breakfast. The motion for the evening was then announced as this House would oppose the marketisation of higher education. <laughs> Opening for the proposition was the President of Queen's Student Union, Mr. Sean Fair. He claimed that there is an overwhelming agreement among many groups that marketisation of higher education brings an existential threat to academic freedoms and workers' rights. He defined marketisation as the belief that universities and their purpose should be governed by the whims of the market with students as customers and courses as products. He said that public revenue can drive innovation just as well as private revenue can and those in charge of the shift towards marketisation are a small group obsessed with prestige and private income. Mr John McLean opened for the capitalists of the opposition by claiming that a higher percentage of students in the UK go to university than in Europe, so our universities should be run and funded differently, and that our marketised system is fair. He stated that we can have a large or small amount of marketisation, and that the repayment system makes fees fair. Then showed that he knew the mind of his audience by saying that the cost of repayments is a mere two pints per month. Mr. McLean concluded by blaming both the bloody government and Tony Blair. <laughs> the second speaker for the opposition was Miss Beth McSorley, who immediately triggered several existential crises by asking us all why we came to university. <laughs> Maybe that was just me. Before telling us that the bastions of university are free thought, developing yourself, and the expansion of thought. She then asserted that industry experts have interests other than, that, than academic freedom and want to mold students into thinking in one specific way, and that marketisation leads to priorities other than academic standards and leads to the loss of critical feedback on students' work. Mr. Connor Argyll spoke next to the opposition and opened with the claim that tuition fees and the current system are not examples of marketisation as they are government-backed programmes and that government <laughs> interference is a real problem. He also said that the arts would survive as people still go to the ballet and read books, so there will be demand. He conceded that the proposition were correct about university management, however he said that more marketisation gives students a greater say as they can take their money elsewhere. Finally, he set out his vision for a marketised system with no loans, different universities charging different fees and more competition for students. Closing for the proposition, the proposition was Ms. Surinder Carr and her maiden speech to society. She began by explaining the effects of marketisation, principally the fees would rise year on year to the point where many could not afford to attend university due to the debt, leading to a less educated society overall. She also claimed that marketisation would increase the job rate and noted that competition should be based on a student's intellect and potential rather than the size of their wallet. She counted a point raised by Mr Ardell by saying that the removal of the fee cap would lead to most institutions simply raising their prices. Closing for the opposition and therefore the debate was Ms Rachel Ireland who began by stating that industry links benefit students before decrying the opposition for offering one-sided points on industry links. She then told us that we are all consumers. 
Masang continued by saying that the marketization encourages some universities to offer cheaper fees before attempting to flatter the house by saying that we are all free thinkers. If she says so. She encourages not to act like spoiled millennials who feel like they are entitled to a free education before concluding by saying that marketization is a necessary evil and that we are all consumers, which is not a bad thing. Insightful questions were raised by Christine Clement, Colin O'Neill, Matthew Salton, Chief Reduction, and Craig Miller. A vote based on House opinion prior to the debate was taken, which read 22 ayes, 10 nays, with 10 abstentions. Meanwhile, a casting vote based on Speaker's performance was taken, which read 4 ayes, 21 nays, and 4 abstentions, so the motion failed. May I take the Minister's read? Aye. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Beck. First up to speak for the proposition is Mr. Matthew Sullivan. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start by defining the motion, and that is basically our side is you can't keep animals, you can't kill animals, you can't eat animals, and doing so is wrong. And I'm going to explain why that is. Historic history, mankind has committed countless atrocities, whether it be genocide or slavery or any other restriction of basic rights. And all of these have one thing in common. It is a sad fact that we as a species have the ability to delude ourselves into believing that the person who stands opposite us is not a person. They man the same way that we do, but some inherent quality makes them different to such a degree that we can enforce our will upon them in whatever way we see fit. However, in time we came to realize that removing somebody's status as a person isn't morally justifiable. You can't just pretend they're not a person and then do whatever you want to. We do this for basically all the atrocities we've committed, except for the worst one. Because when you get dumped, when you examine things as logically as possible, when you throw away all these emotional biases, you come to a very simple conclusion. There is no inherent quality in humans that separates us from other animals to such a degree that we can truly say that it is worse to kill a human than it would be to do so to an animal. First, I'm going to go through a few of the more obvious reasons, not right now, as to why somebody might think this is the case, and I'm going to show you why they're wrong, yes? <laughs> Could the honourable gentleman define what he means by a person in this instance? I'm going to get to that, but it's going to take a while. So, for, as I said, I'm going to go through a few of the reasons why someone might think they're not people. Let's say intelligence. So, an intelligent dog is more intelligent than a two-year-old human. A not-so-intelligent dog is more intelligent than a one-year-old human. This has been confirmed by studies by Professor Stanley Cora at the University of British Columbia. And they outperform dogs both in the ability to recognize words and to perform simple mathematics. Pigs, yes. Pigs also perform similarly as dogs. A one-year-old or a two-year-old human has the potential to possess far greater intelligence than any dog can possess in its entire lifetime. You're right, it does, but the fact remains that in that state, they are not as intelligent. You know, they might be someday, but right now, they're not. And because, not right now, because you can't just take a baby and kill and eat it on the basis of it not having as much intelligence, you can't really do the same to a dog or a pig. I can't justify that 
because they're not different in that sense. So clearly, it's all intelligence that separates us, not right now. So moving on from intelligence, maybe it's sentience, you know, our consciousness. The fact that we're self-aware and think about ourselves will know. Because animals can do that too, as stated in the Cambridge Declaration of Consciousness, which goes, evidence indicates that all human animals have the neuroanatomical, neurochemical, neurophysiological substrates of conscious states. That is to say, all mammals, pretty much all birds and some fish, have all of the things you need to have consciousness, and science is pretty sure they are in fact conscious. So it's not consciousness. Is it sapiens? You'll be able to use tools. All their environment will know, because birds can do that too, and so can some fish. Or whether they're ability to form social connections, make friendships, bonds. No, that's not unique to humans either. Cows, sheep, and horses do that, and elephants mourn their dead. So, that's all of my reasons. I'm going to ask if anybody has a reason why humans are different from animals. Go ahead. We are on Team Humans. If you kill a human, you betray Team Human. <laughs> Not more than you. Surely the argument for the fact that humans are, in fact, different from animals is the existence of a, some kind of moral compass. As you said yourself, you know, earlier in the debate, mm. animals will not differentiate between a human, but we will. That is actually a decent point, but I do guess that. That's all the ones I want to tell. <laughs> See, while animals don't really have the same morals as us, that's still no reason to kill and eat them. After all, we don't kill and eat murderers, do we? No, we just lock them up. So given all this, given there's no real logical reason that allows you to separate animals from humans in such a way, there's no real logical reason to justify the belief that they're so different, <laughs> Why is it that we can justify killing and eating them and enslaving them? Yes, I can know what you regret it first. Yes. I was going to say, if by that logic, we can lock up animals. If we can lock up uh, a murderer who doesn't have the moral compass that you can't answer based on what Rachel said, we can then lock up animals too. By such, they are a commodity. Well, yeah, sure, you can lock up animals, but that doesn't make them a commodity. Because murderers aren't commodities. You can't just say that a person's a commodity. You can't buy and sell people. We've moved well past that in Western democracies. <laughs> See, animals are. <coughs> yes? Have we truly moved past buying and selling people? I mean, we're going to pull on Ryan's question. What are you describing as a commodity? Is it you just can't a take a person and go, hey, I'm going to sell you this person for 10 parts. Okay, here you go, do whatever you want. I need to move on quickly. See, animals have emotions, they have feelings, they have a level of happiness, and therefore killing them causes as much harm as killing a human. Enslaving an animal causes as much harm as enslaving a human. And the most part is we don't need to do any of these things. We don't need to enslave animals, we don't need to eat them. Every major dietetics organization now says that a vegan diet is enough to sustain you completely. You don't need to eat animals. No, thank you. This is like last minute. Animals aren't commodities. Because when you look past all these emotional biases, when you discard all your non-logical things, when you look at through the lens of logic and reason, enslaving them is equally as immoral as it is to slave human. I urge you now to look past all of your emotions. 
consider this argument only with your reason and your logic, and with the newfound realization of the greatest atrocity mankind has ever committed to support this motion today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Sullivan. I now invite Mr. Bradley up to speak the opposition. Yeah, that's my name. <laughs> <laughs> Animals. They're fascinating. Majestic. <laughs> 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 what was that noise? <laughs> I mean, it tastes pretty good too. It was your red meat mooing. It was that red. <laughs> it was meat booing. Um, okay, uh, well, uh, but are they a commodity? Well, yes, they are. I bought that burger, which I've now unfortunately thrown it in my bag. Uh, I've got a in the chippy down the road. I've got a receipt and everything in my pocket, but I can't find it. But say definitively that in today's society that animals are a commodity. Now before Dr. Miller brings some proper science and facts and things uh, to the table, I would like to examine the status of animals as commodities in today's society. But first, some rebuttal. Mr. Sullivan, um, when you're talking about the year-old year human compared to the intelligence of other animals, I think that the key there is something that uh, the rightful Mr. Dobbin brought up, and that is the idea of potential. On that point, I will take your point. Would a terminally ill two-year-old can be allowed to be able to mistreat them if they were to die in a year? Um, well, no, because you're hoping that they will survive for as long as possible. 100%. It's one of 100%. You'd hope, well, if it's your child, you'd have to care for it, if I'm honest. Um, and we, we, can't, we can't just kill them because one day they, they do have potential and there is an attachment already there. Um, and and th this idea of potential goes even further. When was the last time you saw a cow being awarded by his fellow cows for being outstanding in his field? <laughs> I worked on that for two days. Um, humans have great potential that is untapped, and there's something that animals do not have. They have a life cycle. Are you okay? Uh, I will accept. Okay, you're going to make this argument about the human potential. What about the people who can't reach that potential because they're either mentally or physically ill and disabled? Um, this idea of potential isn't exactly like meeting aspirations, it's just the idea that you can do something with your life, not just... It, it's not even things like getting a good job or having friends or whatever, it's the interactions between people that make a person different to animals. Um, and we have built oh, that's a Okay, um, and also the animals being the greatest atrocity as well is something I would, I would also dispute, considering what we've done to animals in most of the cases isn't out of a place of malice. You, you know, you think of the Holocaust, Hiroshima, I, will, I defer, uh, these, these kind of a place of malice. Whereas with animals, it is out of necessity or because they'll be able to do a job for us. And we've built our society on the commodification of animals. Hunting has been part of, our, uh, of human existence uh, and the, the existence of all animals since the, since the beginning of time. And Point. I accept. Okay, just because something is necessary doesn't mean it is morally right or that you should do it. 
I'm, I was really going for, I was going for from stuff time, and I was going to bring that up to now, but you sort of interrupted before I got to that bit, um, so I will, I will continue. Uh, whether through trapping animals, fishing, or using heists to make homes, the commodification of animals has been part of our existence since society began. I prefer. Uh, before money, animals would be bartered for goods and services, and with the new shiny five pound note containing traces of animal fat, this hasn't really changed. Um, On that point, no one. Final, I'll accept that. Okay. No one uh, fishes and hunts for their food anymore. People buy it in the shop. Like, you can't say that it's a necessary thing. No one still goes out and fishes and hunts for their food. How does it get to the shops? Yeah, <laughs> Some people, well, for one, some people do, and for two, some people have to do that so it gets to the shop. I think what you said. Please, I'm just, yeah. Um, so, I'm going to talk about something that's possibly the most literal um, example of animals being commodities, and that is pets. How many people uh, have a dog in here? Instead of interest, any people that have cats? Obscure pets of any, of any kind? Um, uh, you know, you're purchasing an animal to have in your house. You're forcing an animal to be in. This is an, it's treated as uh, it's treated as a literal possession, no different to a bit of furniture or you know, it's just treated as part of the household. On that point, I accept. And there are places in the world where, should I wish it, I could buy a human and have them work for me, and you know, I would own them. Does that mean humans are therefore commodities because, you know, someone will like and buy them? A commodity is defined as something that can be bought and sold. So if humans can be bought somewhere, then they become a commodity in that place. Um, what was I? Uh, not only do pets provide vital companionship to families, and especially the lonely or elderly, they also, they're also provided with a greater quality of life than they may have had in the wild, especially considering we are damaging forests, etc., and we are destroying their habitats. Furthermore, if we, if we move away from like the canine world, pets such as bearded dragons, frogs, and various other reptiles require to be fed with live crickets or mealworms, which must also be farmed and purchased, so there is a cycle that continues. The pet industry is massive, and its economic benefit, as well as its benefits it, it brings to pet owners across the world, cannot be understated. Um, another thing that's brings I accept. So it's fine that we can, you know, enslave animals because there's an economic benefit. There's also quite an economic benefit to enslaving humans. Is that all right too? That's not true. Hey, down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, su I suppose you could say that to all things, but this, this, this idea of codependence, co you're sort of trying to put forward the idea that humans and animals can live in harmony, either um, with each other or away from each other. The commodification of animals is allowing this, and it is, it is preventing a lot of harm. Uh, another thing that springs to mind is guide dogs, before I was interrupted there. Uh, you know, Guide Dogs UK actively breeds dogs to be used as guides for partially sighted and blind people, and this is where the idea of coexistence comes into play. Um, so we will see in the animal kingdom that uh, there are, the, the oxpecker bird cleans the back of hippopotami, uh, in return for food and protection, yet we can't have this with people. Guide dogs are needed um, to help you. Oh, you're having a giggle, that's not good. Uh, um, uh, but not only do they require significant training, their incentive to help uh, is a warm home and the care that comes with being an animal as a commodity. Um, so before I wrap up, like it or not, humans run this planet. We have taken We've taken over most of the land, we have pretty much enslaved animals. Animals are a commodity, they are bought and sold every day. 
Okay. Just because you don't want that to happen, that doesn't mean it's not the case. I'm going to uh, defeat this motion. Members of the House, as the great Margaret Thatcher once said, while the conventional political dangers, the threat of global annihilation, the fact of regional war appear to be receding, we have all recently become aware of another insidious danger. It is the prospect of irretrievable damage to the atmosphere, to the oceans, and to Earth itself. What we are now doing to the world by degrading the land surfaces, by polluting the waters, and by adding greenhouse gases to the air at an unprecedented rate, all this is new in the experience of the Earth. It is mankind and his activities that are changing the environment of our planet in damaging and dangerous ways. What a moment. Um, since 2016, the World Economic Forum have, uh, have classed uh, climate change and environmental issues as the biggest threat to the global economy. And from 1970 until 2020, uh, there are going to be a reduction in uh, vertebrate, uh, vertebrate populations in the wild by 67%. One third of them are going to be left by that point. Um, we're seeing sea levels rise at accelerating rates. Uh, this past uh, decade uh, have doubled the rate of the past century. Um, carbon dioxide levels in the air surpassed 400 parts per million in 2013, a level which has never gone above 300 at any point in the past 500,000 years. And this has led to a 30% increase in surface ocean acidity. Uh, we're seeing uh, the global temperature rise every single year. Uh, 2016 was the hottest year on record, 2015 uh, was the hottest year on record, 2014 was the hottest year on record. Um, I could go on with more statistics like this, but it should be clear to everyone who doesn't have a vested interest in the coal industry that climate change <laughs> is the biggest issue our generation faces. Yes, it may be, but how's that related to the motion? The commodity is the largest contributor to climate change. Animal agriculture is responsible for roughly 30% of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, animal agriculture has been... Yes? Does that change the definition that animals are? What is it? As the no, we, we are not arguing, of course, that animals are not a commodity in this society. That is a ridiculous well, that's idea. The that's the motion that you know about. It, this obviously is true, and you couldn't have a debate arguing that. And we are arguing that here, animals here. should not be a commodity in our society. Here, here. Here, here. Um, <laughs> animal agriculture is responsible for 91% of deforestation in the Amazon, and as such, it is the number one cause of species extinction in the world. And it is also uses uh, one third of fresh water, and 45% of all land on Earth is uh, covered with animal agriculture, uh, either growing the crops or the animals. Yes? But uh, animal quantification could uh, be done differently than that. So you haven't really shown that, in essence, it's immoral in itself, more that certain. How it actually is. Yeah. How it is now, but not necessarily has been. Well, the reason why this is, why it takes up so much room and so many resources, is because, I mean, if you think back to your GCSE biology class, 
you'll remember learning about trophic levels. Uh, this means that uh, every level of the food chain you go up, you lose a huge amount of energy. Uh, you have to feed a huge number of plants to an animal to, um, to eat that animal. Um, when we look at the oceans as well, um, we've seen a huge reduction in the fish population over the past several decades. Part of this is because of the acidification of the ocean, but a large part of it is because 85% of the world's fisheries are currently overfished. Yes, that's not true. Uh, the reason why we've actually got a massive issue of fish population right now is actually because of sharp fishing. It's basically by killing the top predator in any food chain, you destroy the ecosystem underneath it. That's been proven. This is also okay, uh, and that's the main that. reason why there's a fishing issue. Yes, we do overfish, but the main single reason is we're destroying the ecosystem, which isn't allowing new fish to stop which to grow. Which is also a result of the commodification of animals. The average person in the UK cutting animal products out of their diet will reduce their personal carbon footprint by 50%. It will reduce the amount of uh, water and oil that they use to produce their food by 90% and will re reduce the amount of land they take up by 94%. On that Yes? Well, I mean, this isn't, this isn't a big area, it's just a simple change in the relationship between animals and domesticated animals. Uh, humans and domesticated animals. For example, we might rely more on fish farming instead of trawling to um, have a more sustainable model and a reduction in consumption of red meat rather than complete abolition. I don't think that's at all. We're seeing a huge increase right now in the number of fish farms and so on, and we are still, the number of uh, overexploited fisheries is just going up. This doesn't seem to be uh, solving the problem. Um, and also the red meat consumption would need to go drastically down. You have to consider that we in the first world eat far more meat than anyone else in the world by a huge stretch. Um, and as these countries get more and more money, they are wanting to eat more and more meat to be more like us uh, as they become uh, more affluent. So we're going to have to account for that as well. Uh, if you want to reduce your meat to what would be sustainable, it would be a minuscule amount. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even be worth it. Um, but aside from climate change, there are many other ways in which the commodification of animals harms humans. In the United States, 7% of antibiotics that are suitable for humans are given to animals. And this, this is a problem that's even greater than the likes of China. In the United States alone, 23,000 people die every year as a result of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And the vast majority as well of starving children, about 82% of them around the world, live in countries that export food to affluent countries like our own, that we then feed to our animals so that we can eat meat. And we grow enough plants around the world to uh, kill, to raise and kill 60 billion land animals every year while 1 billion people don't have access to enough food. And to conclude, the commodification of animals results in the maltreatment and death of 60 billion land animals and a further 90 billion marine animals every year. It results in a vast amount of environmental destruction and a variety of other problems that face humans, particularly those in less affluent countries. I would urge you to vote with the motion. Thank you very much, Mr. Cargill. Uh, next up to speak for the opposition is Dr. Miller.
I think there's some confusion on the actual title of the motion. So I'm happy to clarify for everybody again. Uh, the actual motion is about this, is relating to are animals a commodity or not? Not should they be a commodity or not? I'm very happy to change the definition as final speaker if everybody is happy with me to answer that question and we'll take that as the new motion. That's what you've basically been talking about, right? And I'm happy as fourth speaker tonight to go down that view of the house are happy with that, which I know is completely un against con convention here, but that's what you've been answering. So if it's over to the president, are you happy for us to start the clock again and go with that de with that definition? My next clarify Yes. Uh, it would. It is a fact that animals are a commodity in this society. We, when we were proposing this motion at the meeting, uh, we were told that uh, the wording would be changed at some point, but I guess it wasn't. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying I'm happy to go with the new definition, even as final speaker, if the House are happy to go down that and the President is happy for that as well. We can take a vote on it. Mr. Sprout, would you like to I, I would like to say that its first proposition is right to define motion as they He defined it differently. He didn't. He paid, you should have paid attention because he didn't. Okay, fine. So there's no need to actually change the definition. So we're going with the non-definition of the motion. I'll start with what Which I'm fine with. Okay. Go ahead. So story time. Uh, <laughs> when training for surgery, what do you train on? The first thing you go down to is usually a pig that's been intubated. So a tube in a pig's throat and you go and cut something out of the pig. Let's just say we get rid of that as a form of training for surgeons. Do you want me practicing on your child? No. On you? On your dead grandma? Like, dead grandma might be okay, child definitely not, you probably not as well. The bottom line is, if we go down a route where we shouldn't have animals as a commodity, you will be damaging your health directly because surgeons can't practice. That's the most brutal way of looking at it. Secondly, you've heard of quite a bit of fake news from the proposition. <laughs> and the bottom line is that the only source of vitamin B12 comes, no, from animal product. You can take vitamin B12 supplements, they don't work. You can get vitamin B12 injections, which are from animals. So the bottom line is that if you don't, it's true they are, right? If you don't get vitamin B12 injections as a vegan, you will end up with macrocytic anemia, you will probably end up with heart failure, and there's a good chance of you ending up dying down the line. It's true. It's a fun, it's the only issue with a vegan diet, is vitamin B12. There's no issue with protein, that is a fallacy. There's no issue with iron, that again is a fallacy. There's only an issue with vitamin B12, okay? And you can only get it from animal products. Number two reasons why they should be a commodity. The third reason, and actually my favorite reason. If we go back to Rhodesia, just to wind this up. Uh, if we go back to Rhodesia, they set a rule that basically any animals that were on somebody's private land would be the landowners. Kenya went down a different route. That any animals that were on land were the governments. 
If you now go to Zimbabwe or you go to Kenya, where has got a higher population of rhinos and elephants? It's Zimbabwe. It's because they made animals a commodity. They said to landowners, you can farm rhinos and you can farm elephants. It was then in the landowners' interests to keep their elephant and rhino stocks high. They wanted the elephants and rhinos, but they also wanted to earn some money from selling ivory. It's the ivory that you can buy across the EU. And it's one of the reasons why the EU did not ban ivory sales. It's because of the fact that it's kept the, the elephant and the rhino populations across that country at a decent number. When you don't commoditize, that's now a new word, uh, animals, you end up with the Kenyan situation where you don't have any rhinos and elephants. Go on. Is that the only way we could possibly protect the rhino okay. population? It's a great question. Now, I'm not going to go myself and start shooting an elephant or shooting a rhino, primarily because I would want to eat it and I wouldn't want to eat an elephant or a rhino. But if you, look, if you look at the reasons why, across Africa predominantly as a continent, that uh, effectively getting our elephant and rhino populations mutilated, it's because people aren't taking ownership and governments do that very badly. Okay, the reality is there has to be some financial incentive to do something, especially with this situation. There might be some lovely people that really want to hunt the rhino, but they still need to go and eat. Okay, they might go and eat the plants that they've grown on the fields that the elephant sits on, but the bottom line is, is there's not something where you can keep a sustainable elephant and rhino population by doing that. So unless you are commoditizing these animals, and it's why we should have them as a commodity, you will lose more and more animal stock. And I mean actual animals that we want to see, not like cows in fields, okay? That's a different argument completely. On that point, no. Uh, so that's where they should be, a commodity. I'm now going to come back to first props, sort of main points. Uh, now, this is to do more with the philosophy of why humans are not animals and animals are not humans. And I bring you back to probably my favourite animal story. I don't think anyone knows this, but oysters are perfectly capable, depending on what's in that current sea, of changing from male to female and female to male. It's the only animal that's able to do that. We can't do that. We can't biologically as a man, stop giving birth to children, and vice versa. Biologically, you can't do that. Equally, seahorses, we probably all know this fact, the males give birth. And spiders, after the females have given birth, they eat the male. Which I think plenty of women would probably want to do that, they can get away with that in this population, but it's not what's going to happen. So, we are different. Let's go to the rawest form of what I'm trying to get at. If you take a starving mother and a starving baby in the most famine-stricken places in the world, that starving mother will still not eat her starving dead baby. It won't happen. It hasn't happened in society, it didn't happen in the Holocaust, okay, and that there is the fundamental rebuttal to first prop. We differ from them. 
Now, the real question which he's trying to get at is why not do we? And that comes down to our moral compass. We have the ability to self-reflect. Animals don't. We can go, I did that really well, or I did that really badly, and therefore next time I'm going to do that differently. And yes, animals can pick up a rock and learn if they hit it that way, something happens. On that point. No. But the bottom line is, there's a spiritual part of a human that is different from an animal. And that's the real difference of why we differ from them. Okay, we have a moral compass, they do not. They should be commoditized for the reasons I've outlined, and there are plenty more. I've only got seven minutes, I've taken my three favorite reasons why they should be a commodity. I urge you to vote against the motion tonight. Thank you very much, Mr. Miller. Um, now we're going to move on to questions. So, firstly, I'd like to take questions for the proposition. <laughs> Ms. Campbell? Um, I would just like to know what this proposition thing, a world where animals are not a commodity, would look like. Well, just a society where we don't buy and sell animals for food or for clothing or for whatever purpose. There's repentance for everything, but what specific? Can we have a slight? No. no. Uh, there are alternatives for everything, and you can get food, clothing, everything. Um, I don't know what the question is. Yes, please. Um, yes, there are these sorts of uh, commodification that we've been talking about, but there are other types that I didn't get onto in my speaking, and I will, will now get onto now. I'm presuming you're quite big into conservation. Uh, a lot of conservation is based on the idea that um, we're paying, we're essentially making these animals a product, so a product that we can pay into. And uh, for example, aquariums, they will do conservation work, and that conservation work is done because of the money that we give them via the commodification of these animals. So to say that just completely removing their commodification would not solve the problem completely, habitats are going to be destroyed anyway because humans are greedy. That's just the, that's just the long short of it. Thank you very much. Now, we'll take the question for the opposition. Mr. Dobbin. Um, I'd like to address the point about the fact that commodification of animals is, in fact, very discriminatory. And how do you approach the fact that there are some animals that we have legislation to protect, we view them as beautiful, serene creatures, etc., etc., and other ones we stack in cages as they have to watch and smell their friends, family die, and then be slaughtered themselves, and how unfair that is. So, I'm not going to stand up here and say that everything we do to animals right now is the fair, nice, cosy, loving thing that we should be doing, or that we uh, can do. But if you take, for example, crocodile farming in Zimbabwe, I don't know if anyone's seen that going on right now, but they basically, the way they crocodile farm is an alive crocodile, they get a sword and they shove it down the spinal cord of the crocodile, and that's the way you kill a crocodile for your handbags. Uh, so we don't do anything nicely right now. That doesn't mean that animals shouldn't be a commodity. That means that we should be putting in more protections for animals so that we give them the one thing that in my head we should be giving them, which is dignity in their life and death. Okay, that's the difference. We should give an animal dignity in its life and then dignity in its death. We should be doing that and we should be working to get to that point. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be commoditizing animals. 
Well, on this specific point, in general, the better you treat an animal, the worse it is for the environment. The longer you keep an animal alive, the more space you give it. Uh, this, these are all things that uh, consume more and more resources. We're already at a point where we have to drastically reduce the amount of animals we keep. And, uh, treating them better would mean that this is an even more impossible task. Uh, we'll go back for another question for the proposition. Isn't it usually like neutral? Yeah. I was yeah. thinking yeah. at the end. Okay, fine. Do we have any questions for that on the motion? Mr. Chair? Yeah. Um, <coughs> is using animals in advertising so it's something as nice as dogs trust a form of commodification? Would you like to respond to the do you want to do one with Yeah, mine's going to be one with Alison. Okay, go for one with Alison. Yeah, I'd like it. It is. My answer would be no. And when we see humans in others, when we see humans in others, we don't consider those humans to be slaves or commodities. So, same would be true. Same would be true as well for Alan. Okay, any questions for proposing? For the proposition, even? Sorry. Mr. Dick? Um, I'm going to have to ask a follow-up question to what we asked, you know, the influence of animals in society, particularly in countries without industrial capacity, is certainly something that's a lot more complex than you're giving credit to. For example, uh, the relationship between the medical industry and, uh, and animals, which if we were to have that relationship completely, that would cause serious detrimental impact on the quality of life of humans. Um, and I don't think that's something that I was prepared to accept. Um, the, uh, in, in third world countries, they use far fewer animals than we do here in the West. Um, but specifically with regard to uh, the, the problems it would cause for humans, it would certainly cause problems if we all went, uh, if, we, if we stopped it overnight. But that's not what we're arguing, we're, that's just not a feasible thing. We're saying that this, this practically could happen over a number of years. And, and uh, we could work out all of these problems. Um, there are trusts, um, there's a huge amount of effort going into, to, um, in particularly in the field of computer science, in uh, building applications that simulate, say, the human body, with what we were talking about, that you get these big VR headset and you can uh, tend to uh, operate on the human body and so on. Uh, but we're coming up with ways to get on with technology all the time. Yeah, okay. Uh, there's, I think I'm going to try and get on two or three points as briefly as I can. There is absolutely no way of replicating uh, surgical training unless you use a human being. There's no way of doing it. Every human being differs. Uh, at least on an animal, you've got blood vessels going in, nerves wrapping around stuff. You've got organs that need to be chopped in and out. Uh, there's no way of doing it. Uh, so you will be affecting surgical training, you will be increasing mortality and morbidity in a country if you don't commoditize animals, A. But that's not debatable. Diet. Uh, which is the second point which I think has been skirted around, not really touched upon. Drastic changes are needed in the way that we make food. Okay, they're currently happening in labs right now. We've made our first steak for £11. It was 600 quid a year ago, but we've made a steak in a lab for 11 quid. Okay, that's coming down. Once that happens, the main issue that you've got in terms of needing to make lots of plants into an animal is true, it's valid, that isn't fake news. Okay, that happens. But the bottom line is that once we can make a piece of steak in a lab, 
we don't really have the issues that you're talking about with plants into animals. So it becomes a much more ethical, philosophical debate that we've got, which is where I thought this debate was going to go rather than into the nuances of dietary requirements. Uh, finally, with regards to agriculture, within time, and I could give it five to ten years, agriculture is going to be drastically different, okay, based on labs. Okay, we won't be having big fat fields with cows in them, there just won't be a need, it's too expensive. If you can grow something in a lab for a 50p for a steak instead of for four quid, you're going to do it, right? So the bottom line is, from that side of things, needing animals, yeah, like agricultural countries, that that's what their main source of revenue is, is going to go bankrupt, I don't care, because I get my meat for cheaper. Okay, uh, now questions for the opposition. Anyone? No? Uh, Yes, go ahead. Would you start with the second, please? Hi, Anastasia and Yeah, you kind of put forward this point that you know we should treat animals as commodities because they don't have the same moral aspects as humans. You know, you give examples of like spiders eating meat and stuff. What about like human incidents of cannibalism and murder into species? Is that your point? Yeah. Um, Yes, there are, there, are, there are human incidents of that, like, you know, you can't deny that. But it's not something we generally do. You know, it's not, it's not hardwired to the human life cycle. It's not like, oh, you, you, you know, you, you're born, you have children, uh, then, then you eat um, the, the child there. Or the, I'm, I'm not good with words, you know, when I'm serious. Uh, uh, but, you know, just... Because you know we, we are fundamentally different to animals, and it is this idea um, that you know one we're biologically different—that's obvious. But then there's a the moral aspect as well. And we have we have moral codes. Like there's an inbuilt. There's an argument about whether it's nature or nurture. Whether we do have a moral code, but it's definitely more advanced than that of what an animal would have. So. Just because animals have different moral compasses as us, just because, you know, they basically don't have them, doesn't mean you can just cause harm to them. You're still taking a thing with a happiness level and reducing its happiness and well-being, which is still immoral, no matter what it does or has done. It doesn't actually change any much. Has anyone got any last points on the motion? This will be our... Last one. Um, well, kind of a question for both sides, but it might be a bit of a contentious question, and um, I, mean, I was a bit hesitant to say it, but um, just on Craig's point about um, a moral compass, um, is he saying that it goes into where you get your moral compass from? But he, is he saying that the only difference between human and animals is a religious reason because you, you get your morals? From a higher power. Mr. Miller, would you like to respond? <laughs> I'm the one who stood up here and said that to be uh, moral, you've got to be religious. Uh, you not believe it. Uh, that's a joke. <laughs> okay. No, I don't think that we get our moral compass from religion. I think that it is partly. I think it's predominantly a genetic element with a degree of environmental input. That's the reality of the situation. You can go back thousands of years and we still end up in this situation. Yeah, we might fight another set of people over there to protect our land or because we want their resources, but we don't then go there and start, like to use my eating babies scenario, which is about the second time I've mentioned in four years, but still. Uh, 
No, I don't think we need to be religious to have a moral compass, and I don't think that's the reason, and I don't think our religion is what different, differentiates us from animals. I think the bottom line is that first prop was trying to get across that we are the same as animals, and I've put forward something to suggest that one of the reasons why we are different from them. That's all. It was in rebuttal to how he mentioned three or four points in relation to using tools in relation to intelligence in relation to forming social groups. They were his reasons why, and I was just basically forming rebuttal to his three points on why we do differ from them. Okay, thank you very much. Shall we move to a vote now? Um, so the first vote will be on prior opinion. So what we thought before you came in here. Um, and then we'll do another vote on speakability. So, um, yeah, do you want to get your membership? Uh, the first one is for not for members. Is, no, it's for everyone. And the, in can a minute. my mum vote? Is she a member? No. Well, she can vote in the first one. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, you can. You, if you're not a member, you can vote in the first one. If you are a member, you can vote in both of them. So. Um, I completely forgot what the motion was. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, should we have a vote on prior opinion? So those who were in favour of animals not being a commodity when they first came in? Would you like to raise your hands down?